God some praise one more time in the house. Man, to those of you joining us online, say welcome in the room. My name is Jacob. It's such an honor to have you worship with us this Sunday. We kicked off a brand new series last week titled Better because we all have things in our life that we want to be better at, that we're striving to get better at. Maybe for you, it's a relationship. Maybe it's raising kids. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's your finances. But the simple truth is we want to make sure that we as a church, you as believers in Christ, if you are, as the church, are focused on God's mission. And here's the really cool thing. When we become better at God's mission, what happens is all of the things that we're striving for in life fall into perspective, and we actually get better at those things too. So this series is about us being better as a church at fulfilling God's mission on this earth. And so we asked the question last week, what does God want to accomplish? What is his mission. And we looked in scripture at God's first words to humanity, and he gives words to Adam and Eve, and it is a multiplying mission. It's a growing mission. God's mission is a filling mission. It's a scattering mission. And the third thing is God's mission is a kingdom mission, meaning there is a king. And it's his rule, his authority, his power that we fall under that we submit our lives to. We talked last week about how Jesus modeled this growing, filling, and kingdom mission. And this week, we're going to look at some instructions that Jesus gave his disciples that gave them the ability to better live in God's mission. The first one we see is in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus says this, go. Everybody say go. Into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now I want to give some context here. Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. And he is meeting with his 11 disciples. Imagine being in the room and Jesus says, I want you to go. And you're thinking like, okay, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Where are we going? And he says, to all the world. Now, they know that Jesus has died as they were a part of witnessing his crucifixion. And they know that he now stands with them. So I imagine they're pretty motivated. But even in that motivation, I pictured them going. There's 11 of us, Jesus. And you're giving us this. Instruction to go into all the world to preach your gospel. Then Jesus says this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, then Jesus came to them, this being 12 disciples at this point in time, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Everybody say go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Twelve guys having a conversation with Jesus and he says, oh, hey, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. And you know where you're going to go? You're going to go 
and make disciples of all nations. Then Jesus says this in Acts 1 and 8, speaking to 11 disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, their city, and in all Judea, their entire nation, and Samaria, a nation that they despised, and to the ends of the earth. How could Jesus give instructions to 11 guys, 12 guys, and 11 guys? Just a total of 12 people to go and preach the gospel to all the world, to go and make disciples of all nations, and to go and be his witnesses in their city, their nation, to the nations they don't like, and to the very ends of the earth. How could that be? Because God's mission is a growing mission of multiplication. God's mission is a scattering and filling mission. God's mission is a kingdom mission, meaning you take kingdom power and authority with you everywhere you go. Or we could say it like this. The call of God is for you to go. Nowhere in any of these passages does it say stop. And I never want Merge Church to be a church that says, you know what, we've made it, we've reached it, we've accomplished enough. And we have a natural tendency in every element of our life to reach certain thresholds whereby we go, you know what, I did enough, I accomplished enough, that is good enough. But when I read about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says go, but it never says stop. And when I read about going and making disciples, it says go, but it never says stop. And when I read about being his witness, it says go, but it never says stop. Why? Because Jesus is giving you and me instructions for how we actually fulfill God's mission on this earth. The call of God is for us to go. And we're going to break down the three things that Jesus calls us to go and do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you. And God, I pray that we, right here, right now, that we would settle ourselves for these next few moments, that we would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word, and that we would allow your word to transform our lives and that we would leave here living better on mission than when we came in. We give you all of the praise and honor. We say it all in Christ's name. And everybody said a great big. The first go that we talked about Jesus giving is preach the gospel. All throughout the New Testament, you'll see this word preach, but you'll also see a word proclaim. And it's coming from a Greek word meaning to announce throughout or to proclaim far and wide. Meaning the gospel isn't to be hoarded, it's to be shared freely. We share freely the simple truth that Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he rose again. You remember being a young kid and hearing sharing is caring? I remember hearing this phrase. I was in the church nursery. I'm like four or five years old. And you got to understand, church nursery, when I was a kid and the type of church I grew up in, it wasn't like church nursery today. All right? There weren't like smiling faces and snacks, okay? It was the meanest old lady they could find. They'd whoop you. 
in church nursery. And, and the church nursery was always in the corner of the building where no one could see. And that was on purpose. I know it was looking back. They did that because they wanted to be able to whoop your tail. There'd be two mean old ladies, 87 kids, one toy. And I'm in the church nursery. I'm pretty sure it was on a Sunday night, probably revival week. We'd been to church about 87 hours that week at this point. And I'm waiting for my Dixie cup of water and my one animal cracker because that was as good as nursery got. And as I'm waiting, I remember, I don't remember her name, but I remember what she looks like. And if we meet in heaven, we're going to have a conversation. I remember that mean old lady coming over to me, and she says, sharing is caring. And I thought to myself, well, you should model that. I've got the one toy in the room that I've had for about seven seconds, and the bad kid decided to go tattle on me without even asking for the toy. And I'm thinking, are you serious about this right now? Have you ever noticed that when someone asks you, tells you, instructs you to share, it seems like they're always asking you to give up the one and only item that is available? Because that happens in our natural being and we go to the church nursery and there's one toy and they tell us that we have to share it among the 87 kids as we all sit and wait our turn, we tend to develop a scarcity mindset as it relates to our willingness to share. And then we, as believers, apply that scarcity mindset to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So rather than preaching and proclaiming throughout far and wide that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again, we fall into this scarcity mindset where we know that sharing the good news of Jesus really is caring about other people, but we begin to believe the lies of the devil because scarcity is a lie of the devil that there's only enough gospel for me. That if I share the gospel with too many people, I, man, I might lose my seat, my spot, my place. I might find myself on the inside, and they may find themselves on the outside. When the simple truth is, you and I, if we're living in God's mission, we're going out and we are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We are sharing the message of Jesus with this lost and dying world, understanding that we serve a kingdom mission, and the kingdom is a kingdom of abundance. I want you to think about how miraculous God is. He creates us we screw it up. He sends his son Jesus to die for us, to redeem us back to him. And then Jesus, in all of his grace, love, wisdom, and mercy, ascends back to the Father and says, Hey, Father, why don't you send the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit will be even better. Because the Holy Spirit can be with every single believer all the time, everywhere they go. Do you recognize the spiritual abundance of the kingdom mission that we serve in? Sharing is caring. So Jesus says, proclaim the gospel, preach the gospel, share the good news with other people and understand that scarcity is a lie. There's more than just one toy in the nursery. There's room for everyone in the kingdom of God. So what are we preaching? What are we proclaiming? We're proclaiming facts, not fiction. We proclaim the word of God. Because we believe in the infallibility of Scripture. 
We believe that all of the word of God points us to Jesus Christ. So as we share the gospel and we preach it, we're bold. We have a tendency as believers, and I understand it because I wrestle with the same feelings. We have this tendency to to step into our faith and say, you know what, I'm going to share the good news of Jesus. And and we get into a conversation, and the opportunity presents itself, and we're like, yeah, Jesus is good. But if we know that we're sharing fact, not fiction, it should embolden our proclamation that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again. You ever find yourself in an argument with someone and you know you're right? The facts are on your side, right? Like, like the data supports you. Like everyone else that saw it agrees with you. Like you know you're right. The truth is on your side. Now, when the truth is on your side and, and, and you find yourself in an argument, aren't you just a little bolder? Don't you stand your ground just a little more? I mean, don't you like you express it? I remember in that night in nursery when that nursery teacher told me that sharing is caring. I remember looking at her and thinking, you done lost your mind, lady. And I'm trying to explain to her, like, no one asked me for this toy. I'm not even not sharing. I didn't even know there was an opportunity to share. And there's one. Heaven forbid you buy two. And I felt this emphaticness in my conversation even as a young child. Why? Because I was right. The facts were on my side. And when you let it sink deep down in your soul that Jesus Christ Fully God, fully man, really did step down from heaven and really did walk this earth sinless, spotless, shameless. And he really did get accused of and convicted of crimes he didn't commit. Also, he could be nailed to a tree to set you and me free. And then he rose again on the third day. When that becomes the fact upon which you build your life and your mission, what happens is you share it with great boldness and it becomes a proclamation that you're making no longer just a conversation. Jesus says, hey, if you want to get better at sharing, at living on God's mission, you have to proclaim The gospel. And I understand that we run into skeptics and it can become a challenge. Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, shares how a skeptic once told a pastor that if the pastor could give him a watertight argument, he would believe in Jesus Christ. And the pastor responded to the skeptic and said, what if God hasn't given us a watertight argument, but rather a watertight person? See, the gospel that we proclaim is a person. It's a real relationship. It really is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. It isn't a feeling. It is a fact. It isn't fiction. It's the truth that comes from the infallible word of God. So we proclaim that, listen, we may not have every answer, but I know this. Jesus came. Jesus lived. Jesus died. And Jesus rose again. And I will unashamedly preach the gospel because I believe in God's mission to redeem humanity. The Apostle Paul says in Scripture that the Greeks look for wisdom, that the Jews look for miracles, but we as believers in Christ preach Christ crucified. 
I think that the best way for a skeptic to find Christ compelling is by simply considering Jesus from his word. Don't underestimate the power of plainly proclaiming Jesus day in and day out and pray for the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of people to believe the truth that they are hearing. Just ask people to look to Jesus, to come to Jesus, and to find their rest in Jesus. This is the message that built the church, that created the greatest movement the world will ever know. It's the only message we need. So it begs this question. Are you holding up the gospel for people to see and believe? I've always been challenged by Paul's words to the Galatian church when he said it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. As Paul's writing this, he knows that much of the Galatian church was not present for the literal crucifixion of Christ. It's not what he means. What Paul means is that his preaching was so cross-centered that it was if the people hearing the message were there. When we proclaim the gospel, we take people to the cross and we urge them to repent and believe. Jesus said if you want to be better at living on God's mission, you'll preach the gospel. The second thing we're going to talk about today is Jesus said go and make disciples. We hear the word disciples or discipleship in the church, and I think sometimes it's difficult to wrap our head around what that really means. So I hope we can unpack it today in a way that will bring clarity. And we'll define it like this. Discipleship is a personal decision to commit oneself to God as his follower and to allow that commitment to overflow into everything else in life. It's your choice. It's your choice to become a disciple. It's your choice to take a step beyond belief for salvation. And in no way are we diminishing grace or the power of grace or the gift of salvation. But I want to challenge us that already believe to make the choice to be a disciple. To take the next step in our faith journey. And it's so important because the piece we often miss or fail to discuss is this. I have to be a disciple to make a disciple. Who's Jesus saying this to? His disciples. Because Jesus understands that absent your personal commitment to being a disciple, you will lack the authority to actually go and make disciples. So if we're called to preach the word and we're also called to go and make disciples, we have to be a faith family committed to making the choice to personally become a disciple of Christ so that I can then go and make disciples of Christ. The church as a whole is full of believers that won't choose to become disciples. We have a tendency to treat faith like my youngest son Ben treats being stanky. It's Saturday and we're just kind of home and we're chilling as a family we're hanging out and Kristen and I are laying in the bed and Collier's laying in the bed with us and football's on in the background and we're just hanging out and Ben man he comes in the room and he jumps up on the, the chairs at the end of our bed and I know he's about to jump on the bed I say boy you're not getting in my bed you stank 
And he rips his shirt off. I mean, it's like WWE in my house. I'm not sure what's going on. He rips his shirt off, throws it down, jumps in the bed, looks at me and says, I'm pretty sure it's just my shirt. We step into a relationship with Jesus and we have a little bit of a tendency to think that the stank is just on the outside. And if I just take my shirt off, then that will be enough. But Jesus Christ, living on God's mission, called you and me to go and make disciples. And if we have to be a disciple to make a disciple, then we have to understand this truth. And it's why the gospel tends to be offensive in today's world. You and I are rotten from the inside out. And when you accept that, it doesn't diminish you. It, it doesn't devalue you. In fact, it, it gives you an understanding of how valued you actually are because Christ chose to redeem a humanity that stinks from the inside out. So grace should actually compel me into the choice to become a disciple of Jesus Christ so that I can then go and make disciples because I want to be better at living on mission for God. And why does this matter? It matters because there's more. It matters because the church has to go. We have a gospel to preach, and we have disciples to become, and we have disciples to go out and make. As the great theologian Dion Sanders said, we coming. And we're looking for some dogs. We have to have a mindset and mentality that says, you know what, hell? We coming. And Jesus is saying, I'm looking for some disciples. I'm looking for some disciples to go and fulfill the mission that God has given you. And as I was contemplating this message, I asked myself, what marked the disciples that Jesus is having this conversation with? What separated them from the rest of the pack? I believe it's that they lost themselves to a mission. They lost themselves to God's mission, to something greater than any single individual or any one group. They died to themselves literally, leaving every comfort, every profession, every known th tangible thing they had and sold out to the mission of God. As a disciple, the goal is to live transformed lives committed to God's mission and transferring the values of the kingdom of God to earth so that those values may replicate themselves in the lives of others. It's God's mission for humanity and it's Christ's mission for his church. See, discipleship is about growing through Christ with others and for others. It's about being a family. And being in it together and understanding that I have an individual choice to play and an individual role to play. And that when I make that choice and I fill that role, what happens is it brings other people along with me. It may be easier understood like this. You follow Jesus for yourself, at least originally, but not by yourself. So we make a choice to be a disciple. 
And we talk about discipleship, and I think some believers hear this, and they think, that's great, but I don't have the strength. I don't feel like I measure up to that level in my personal faith journey. And none of us like feeling weak. Think about when you're going to have a family dinner and the jar can't be opened. No one wants to be the one that passes the jar and says, I can't open it. Everyone wants to be the one that opens the jar. Because we do not like feeling weak. We value strength and we want to operate in what we deem to be strengths in our individual life. So I I want us to look at this really quick. Jesus kicks off in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, as he's letting his disciples know that they're to go and make disciples. And I, I want us to really pay attention closely to exactly what Jesus says. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, what's Jesus say? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth. He's like, no, 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 listen, there's not a single authority out there other than what I'm talking about. And all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus is like, hey, guys, listen, you're having a conversation with the one that possesses every bit of authority, strength, might, power that this creation will ever know or ever have access to. Then in verse 19, Jesus says, therefore. Now, he this is a word that we use in communication and writing when we're joining two thoughts together. It's, it's, it's a transition word that is presenting, hey, listen, because I have all the might, power, and authority of heaven and earth, you can then go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is laying out this gauntlet like, hey, hey, listen, 12, I know y'all struggle a little bit. I know you're not all all all-stars. I know you don't have all the answers, but what I want you to understand is the one with all authority from heaven and earth is the one sending you to go and make disciples. So you don't have to worry about your ability to open the discipleship jar. I'll open it for you. I simply need you to be willing to go. Here's the really good news. When you commit yourself to being a disciple... You access authority and power beyond your own ability because you're partnering with the one that possesses all authority under heaven and earth. Say, okay, makes sense. You see, God's mission is a growing mission, a multiplying mission, and it's the authority of Christ to his church that gives multiplication power. It isn't our ability It isn't our might. It's understanding that we serve the God of the harvest that wants to pour out in abundance exponential spiritual increase. So I want to give you two thoughts for practical discipleship. Because I pray that you make the choice today, if you haven't already done so, to leave here and to be a disciple. It's like, how do I do that? What do I actually go and do? In John 13, verses 15 through 17, we see a little bit of an obscure passage. It says this. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. That makes sense. Good. Thanks, Jesus, for the example. I get it. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. 
the goal of discipleship is to be like the master and the messenger, Jesus. It's the goal. So when I face crossroads in my life, uncertainty, unfamiliarity, decisions that I don't know the answer to, I go to the Word of God and I open it up, and maybe you have a physical Bible, and I look for the red letters because those letters are the words of Jesus, the master and the messenger, so I'm looking at his words to make decisions in my life. Because I'm fully committed and submitted to being a disciple, to being like the master and the messenger. So I have to know what the master and the messenger has said and what he has done. And I have to apply those principles in my own life. The goal is to be like the master Jesus. And the second practical piece of discipleship I'll give you today is found in Matthew 6 and 33. It says this, but seek first, everybody say first, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now in this passage, the followers of Jesus, they're fretting over practical, tangible things like food. And they're worried, and they're like, hey, we need to pursue these things because they're necessary. And Jesus redirects them and says, hey, if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all of the things that you need to fulfill God's mission will be given to you. So we understand the goal is to be like the master and messenger Jesus, and so we seek first his kingdom. Now, this is a challenging principle. Because I don't know about you, but it's hard to wake up every single day and the first thing you think to yourself is, you know what? Today I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. We wake up and our minds begin to race to all of the things we have to do and the places we have to be and the accomplishments that we need to accomplish. But what if we just paused and said, you know what? I'm so committed to being a disciple of Jesus Christ that I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to seek first his kingdom. I'm going to seek first God's righteousness. And when I make decisions in my life with my money, with my time, with my talent, with my spouse, with my kids, with my coworkers, before I open my mouth, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. Before I post it on social media, before I share it with the world and can't take it back, before I decide yes or no, I'm going to seek first his kingdom. Here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to know the answers. You don't have to get it all right. But if you will seek his kingdom first, you'll find yourself a disciple. You'll find yourself better living on mission for God. And you will see provision in the other areas of your life come into place because you sought first his kingdom. We go and preach the gospel. We go and make disciples. And the last thing we're going to talk about today Jesus says, go and be my witnesses. Now, what do witnesses do? Witnesses testify. They testify as to what they've seen, as to what they've experienced, as to what they know, as to what they remember, as to what they believe. I remember being... A young prosecuting attorney, and you just you have so many cases you can't 
you can't see straight, you're in court all the time, and I'm brand new to the profession, and I put a witness on the stand that I had never talked to. It's a mistake, in case anyone was wondering. And this guy gets on the stand, and he won't shut up. I mean, he is the star of the show. He's going to do all the talking. And you think to yourself, like, yeah, I mean, that's good, though, right? Like, the people that can talk a lot, like, that's valuable. And, and you want him to share everything that he... No. No, no, no. I wanted him to share what I needed him to share. Nothing more, nothing less. And you learn over the course of being a lawyer that the best witnesses are the simple ones. They answer yes or no questions with yes or no. They don't begin to overshare. They don't overinflate what they know. They just tell you the truth. And they tell you the truth even when it hurts their case because credibility is measured in the witness. I saw a t-shirt the other day. And I love what it said because we talk about preaching and making disciples and being a witness. And I know many of you are like, that's not my gift. I don't have that ability. But I saw his t-shirt that said, this, preach always and seldom use words. The t-shirt is saying, hey, let the credibility of your actions meet the words that you speak. Could it be? That the effectiveness of my preaching and of my witnessing is determined by the degree of commitment to being a disciple I possess. Could it be that the world isn't looking for the one that knows everything and has every answer when they get asked, but they're simply looking for the one that says, you know what? I don't have the answer to all of that, but here's what I know. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, he set me free, he gives me peace in the midst of the storm that surpasses all understanding. He has all power, all might, all authority. I have an eternal hope that I am fixed on and I'm living God's mission in my life here and now today, no matter what comes my way. Could it be that that simplicity is what really moves the non-believer in the world today? So you have the ability to be a great witness by simply telling your story, by simply sharing your experience, by simply sharing what you know, what you've seen, what you've heard, what the family that you've been brought into and repeating that information to someone else. And as we wrap all this up, I just want us to see this simple truth. God's mission is a growing mission, a filling mission, a kingdom mission. Because God's mission is all about people. And Jesus models this mission and Jesus tells his disciples to preach the gospel, to go and make more disciples and to be his witnesses. Why? Because all three things are about people. And God's mission is about people. So Merge Church is all about Christ. And because we're all about Christ... We're all about people. God's heart is people, His created. And God loves you. And God cares for you. And God has a plan for you. God desires that peace, joy, 
and love would be the directors of your life. God desires to use you to preach his good news, to go and make disciples, and to be his witnesses. See, God knows that every seat has a story, and every story matters to God. So we, as Merge Church, as this family, we love you. We care for you. We believe that there's a divine plan for you, and we want to help you discover how you can better play a part in God's mission on this earth. We strive to be a house of peace, joy, and love because we understand the chaos of this world, and we want this family to be a family of refuge and redemption. We know that God wants to use you. And we want to be a place where you can be used for kingdom mission. A mission greater than any one of us and greater than all of us. We know that every person in every seat has a story and we value you and your story in this family. No matter how hard, ugly, or trying that story may seem to you. And we don't say any of these things because it's cute to say. We say it because it's the calling of God to his church. And this is God's church, not ours. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, we glorify you, and we magnify you. And God, I pray for those that have come into this place tired or worn down, feeling broken. And God, I pray that they would see that they still have a place, that they still have a purpose in your mission. God, I pray for those that came in this room that haven't yet accepted you as their Savior, and I pray that you would just begin to soften their hearts as they hear that Jesus came for them, that he lived for them, that Jesus died for them, that Jesus rose again for them right there where they sit. And maybe you're in this room and you would say that that's you, that you've never given your life to Christ. You've never accepted him as your savior. I just want you to say this prayer out loud. We're all going to say it together. We're not going to embarrass you in any way. Dear Jesus, today I repent and acknowledge that you are my savior. Heads bowed, eyes still closed. Maybe you came in this room and you say, you know what, Jacob, I could get better about sharing the good news of Jesus. I could get better at committing myself to being a disciple and making disciples. I could get better about being a witness. And I just need some boldness. I just need, I need to know that God's going with me. Would you just slip your hand up right where you are if you'd say that's you? God, I thank you for every hand that has been raised. And God, I pray that right now you would just begin to cover those individuals, that they would see the value that you place on them, that they would understand that they have a role to play in God's mission for humanity, that they have an ability to share the gospel, that they have an ability to make disciples and to choose to be a disciple and that they have the ability to be your witnesses. God, I pray that you would present them with opportunities that are divinely appointed this week and that they would accept and walk in those opportunities. Lord, we give you all the praise, honor, and thanksgiving, and everybody in the house said a great big.